on a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. Columbus, Ohio's Andrew Miller is a blogger and journalist who's worked in a variety of genres, including flash fiction and poetry. With the publication of his new book, If Only the Names Were Changed, Miller adds book collection essayist to this list. The essays in this collection describe his life and personal struggles. Welcome to Craft, Andrew Miller. Thanks for having me. Well, tell me about your new book, If Only the Names Were Changed. What was your elevator pitch for this collection of very personal essays? Well, uh, it originally really took hold when I decided it was time to go back to school and uh, started thinking about where my life had had gotten that I was going through a second divorce <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and really just trying to uh, figure out why it was that for so long I, I thought I was a pretty decent person and uh, and hadn't really examined that. So okay, the book book starts with this author's note: "Quote: I'm an alcoholic. I'm manic depressive. I say this only to alert the reader that I am, in fact, not willing to suggest that what you're about to read is always the factual truth, or even always what an unbiased judge might refer to as fair and balanced." So when you've when you wrote that, which I assume you wrote after writing the essays Correct. at some point, uh, what did you want or expect readers to do when they approached your essays after having read that? Tell me about how that, in your mind, set up the essays, uh, which I've, uh, we'll get into as being really personal. Well, I, I think that for me, I approached writing these essays in a way of trying to tell tell the story of how I remember uh, very difficult periods throughout my life. And in doing that, as I wrote, um, constantly asking the question, why or, or is this real? Um, or is it strictly perception? And I think that by the time I got all the way through, I, it was very clear that so much of my life is strictly based on how I have perceived it myself. And I, I think that that's probably true for a lot of people. And uh, so I wanted to make it clear up front that um, truth is what we make of it. And, uh, and the reader should go in with their eyes open knowing that that everything I'm saying I may or may not believe. How does that affect the people that you write about? Because a lot of times in this you write as a person looking back at your life, family members and friends and uh, things that in some cases might actually have, I believe, got you into trouble. Not believe, I know got you into trouble <laughs> from the stories. That so how did that impact those people when you said, I want to write and be really honest about mistakes that might have been made? Um, well, uh, uh, I, I am now very happily remarried uh and my wife after reading the uh first draft of the uh, uh of the manuscript um kind of locked herself in the bathroom and and cried for a long time um i i the feedback that i that i've gotten is uh um has generally been very supportive uh I hope that the people involved whose names perhaps should have been changed, um, they're aware of, uh, 
of my issues, uh, my, you know, mental health issues and, and things like that. And, uh, and, and I think that they understand that this is sort of a cleansing out of, you know, uh, of, and figuring out what is real and what, what's not. You mentioned as a cleansing out. So it suggests to me that some of this was um, like therapeutic for you. Yeah. Tell me about how that worked. I think the issue that <laughs> that I came to discover in writing it is, is I have a very difficult time talking directly to someone um, and dealing with the words that are coming out of my mouth uh, as opposed to what's going on in my head. And so I found that in writing this, it was a very productive way to question my own motives and things like that because it allowed me to really consider everything else besides just my my own perception. And uh, um, when I'm in the moment, uh, uh, you know, in a therapy session or something, I, I feel like I need to be a, a little more spontaneous and, and uh, you know, just say what whatever comes to my mouth first, which is often the wrong words. Mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated by the idea of writing is cleansing because I can't say when the many things that I've written and I've written some personal uh, things, it's never felt cleansing for me. And I've always felt like um, that I was interested in the story and getting it um, technically correct, which might uh, say a lot of uh, unflattering things about my own sort of psyche more than I was being able to find a cleansing moment uh, through writing. So that when, when I read something like this, this is the thing that I'm, I'm drawn to. How does that function for somebody? You said um, it gets a different look at the world for you. It gets you the opportunity to look at these things maybe in a, a more objective way. Um, even though you're writing in first person, um, you feel more third person about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that uh, uh, seeing seeing the words literally laid out in front of me, um, and uh, you know. A, a recurring theme within the the book is this idea that words make things real, and uh, and for me, I find that to be true. And, and so, as I lay the the words out on the page and stare at them and see what they make up, um, it really gives me a chance to further inspect the ideas that that are being expressed by those words and, and the reality or, or lack thereof behind them. Um, so it's, it is by no means cleansing in a, any sort of flattering or uh, ego boosting sort of way. Uh, but it, I feel that it's cleansing from a standpoint that I have the opportunity to do some truly deep self-examination that I I am just unable to do in conversation. Okay. Well, I think that's probably something that, you know, a lot of people feel. I mean, doing truly deep self-examination in conversation might be terrifying right. to other people. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, let me tell you some really easy, <laughs> horrifying things. So you were, as you were going through and 
writing these, you you talk about um, you know sort of in, like in the beginning. There's a story. Uh, I don't want to give too much away. Yeah. Uh, but um, it there's some bad behavior. Yes. And as you you look back on it, there's some consequences to some of the bad behavior. And what I was wondering is, as you're writing something like that, wh- wh- how? I mean, you went, I guess, all in because you didn't say I'm going to stop and and not tell, or maybe you didn't. Um, I'm not going to tell everything that happened here. Was there a point at which you said, you know, this is too much. I, I should veer away. This is a problem for me. This is going to cause problems for other people. Um, I, yes, I, I, I feel like there were a lot of moments that I had to stop and think about, you know, not so much the impact on me, um, but certainly the impact on other people. And was it something that ultimately um, was too much to to put on on someone else uh, without really having their you know <laughs> their say in, in the matter? Uh, and I believe, I hope, I I did in fact walk that that line for myself. Um, you know, I, I have, I have certainly paid a lot of consequences for my actions over the years. And, uh, um, and you know, I, I admittedly, uh, as a white male, um, probably haven't paid as many consequences as I should have. Um, and you know that's something that, that I discuss a bit in the book, but uh, um, I think I think that if there are more to come, then uh, then it's on me to to face those things. Okay. There's a part in the book where you you're holding and reading uh, from a book by James Dobson um, that's uh, I believe called Dare to Discipline, right. and I thought that was an interesting passage because. Um, you're reading it, and it says discipline the child, and uh, you know physically, and uh, this was something you went through. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so you're dealing with it uh, in a way that I think is trying to say, I want to be different. Um, tell me a little bit more about how you worked through that passage. Maybe you wrote that particular essay where you're talking about, you know, the. Im- Impact of what's happened in the past on what's happening in the future because you have a child that you you talk about a couple times in the essay. Yeah, yeah, and um, it, it's uh, it's been kind of a, a amazing enlightenment becoming a father, and uh, um, both from a standpoint of I I think I have gotten to know a bit better where my parents were coming from in their actions, both, both positive and negative. Um, and I hope that it has taught me a significant amount, uh, about being a, a, a parent. I, I think if, if there was one lesson that I learned as a child, and I, I believe it probably comes through in the text is that, I don't want to repeat the sins of the father as, you know, as the cliche goes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's difficult to, uh, it's difficult to separate yourself from, you know, from an upbringing. And I, I think that part and parcel to who I 
let myself be early on was, um, you know, was, was someone who just took it. Uh, and, uh, that was, I, I, I don't know. I, that, that was, uh, uh I, I don't have a good answer to this. <laughs> okay. this is, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you were saying that earlier about, um, you know, having the uh, difficult, uh, conversations. And I imagine as you go out with a book like this and you do interviews, um, is that worse than the writing? You know, to talk to somebody about it, is that something that, uh, like, I, I've interviewed other people who, after the interview, said, I was terrified before I, I sat down, um, because I, people don't want to be, the, their voice to be uh, captured in, in a way that I think is very different from the words on the page. Right. Um, as an author, uh, when you look at something like going out reading these to people, going to an interview to talk to somebody about them, how does that re- resonate with you differently than, say, writing the page? I think, uh, um, generally speaking, that it is significantly easier for me to uh, um, share the book either as text or read it out loud simply from the standpoint that there is a precision to the words that I've selected and the ideas and the thoughts uh, and the um, path that, that I lead myself and the the reader down. Uh, Whereas in, in the moment like this is, uh, it's not significantly different than a therapy session (laughs) where, wherein I feel like uh, I don't have that precision and I, I, find myself getting sort of lost in my own mind maze or, or mm-hmm. whatever. Right. Well, uh, I I should have brought a couch. <laughs> if, I, if we do this again, I'll remember the, the couch here at uh, the Mighty WCBE studio. Well, if you work on that beard a little, you can get a little bit closer to the Sigmund Freud going. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, uh, he had hair, uh, and, and he's ahead of me in that. So you've also got an upcoming book release on um, August 18th? Correct, yes. So tell yeah. me a little bit about that. You've got some other people that I think are going to be there. Yeah, um, I, I know a fellow author that, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Scott Novicki, has uh, agreed to read as well. Um, I, there are a couple of other people that I'm just waiting to hear back from who, uh, um, once it's settled, folks around town will, will know who they are. Okay. Uh, it should be a really nice event um a nice event with a lot of painful uh essays <laughs> being right at it uh, right well i figured having scott there he's got a great sense of humor in his writing so that'll help uh, uh along with uh, a couple of poets that uh that i think you know may lighten the load a little bit okay all right so what are uh what haven't i asked you that you would like people to know about your book that really well, I, I think that, I think ultimately, so this is a book that I certainly could have written for myself, felt cleansed and just kept on a shelf at home and not, you know, attempted to publish. But the reason why I felt like it should be published and I'm thankful that uh, a publisher agreed with me, uh, uh, Michael at Civil Coping Mechanisms has been very, very supportive right from the get-go, um, is that I don't think that I'm by any means unique. I, I may be unique in 
diving this deep into some very muddy, gross water. But, uh, um, but I think that there are a lot of conversations that could be had that could come out of a text like this that otherwise as a society, we're getting better about having some of these conversations about mental health and, uh, and uh, about uh, drug abuse and alcoholism and all the other fun stuff. But, uh, but I don't think we're there yet. And so I, I hope that some people who pick this up find it as a way to open up a little bit and, you know, maybe find some help for themselves or some, truth for themselves or whatever they need. Okay. Andrew Miller, author of If Only the Names Were Changed, I thank you very much for talking to me today on Craft. Thank you so much. And as a special bonus, here is Andrew reading from the beginning of his book, If Only the Names Were Changed. Sentimentality seems like a desperate last grasp at redemption before committing the emotional suicide of self-examination on the page. But shame has a way of rewriting beginnings, endings, and everything else sometimes. I'm not entirely sure that what you are reading is my creation as definition of self, or if the words have spilled across these pages in a revolt against my right brain, instead defining me more truthfully than my more pragmatic side would ever allow. I believe that this is a revolt. I believe that words are not just symbols. I believe that words make things real. During the final day of my father's life, we had that cliché ending, the one where, with his last bit of strength, he told me he loves me. It was the first time his voice sounded weak to me, on this last day of his life, in what would be some of his final words. I love you, barely audible, and followed with a wheeze and a cough and a gentle squeeze of my hand. He passed away before the sun rose the next day, speaking only a few more words to my mother before he was dead. I'm so glad my mom got his last words. I'm so glad he gave those to her. I was only in that room for my mom initially, and so I'm still years later trying to understand what he meant by telling me he loved me. I'm still trying to believe that his words made that love real, and I'm so glad my mom got his last words that early morning before he died, because I'm certain I didn't deserve that final gift. Dad was in hospice, dying of complications related to lymphoma and lupus. My mom had let my sister and I know only hours earlier that if we were coming, we'd better come now. I'd make the six-hour drive in less than five hours, borrowing my girlfriend's car and dragging her along because my only other option was an unreliable motorbike. On the drive, I would consider the number of deaths my family had suffered over that previous year. I would be thankful for the past year or so of sobriety I had managed to string together after another disastrous relationship crumbled. I would fight with my daughter's mother over how to get my daughter there to Michigan to let her be a part of her grandfather's funeral. I would sign my final divorce papers only a couple weeks after this day. I would read a eulogy that I had written for my father, unsure that anything I was saying was true. 
I would feel ashamed of the history of my life and of my history with my father as I stared blankly out over a church full of mourners who would later recall what a great friend, teacher, and coach he had been to them. Shame is a powerful weapon. I embrace shame like a scalpel. I embrace shame like a scalpel and eviscerate my ego and empty myself of any concept of who I am. For more information from my guests, who visit www.craftthevoid.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, Emmanuel be Kant creative. argued that freedom and morality are directly linked and in opposition to shame. For Kant, only if you have the freedom to choose to do the right thing, the moral thing, the thing that every single human is capable of, can you then be moral. However, acting on shame means being shackled to motives that are not free, that can never be moral. Reacting to the shame, filled with such guilt, I wonder if I'll ever be free. That night of death, that night moon bright, reflecting the sun's melting starlight, a frozen lake mac, a damned spring awaiting the moment tide sets it free, corrupting barriers, a trickle, a stream, carrying foreign seed and soil, deep history worn into the shallow pebbles deposited on new shores, life beginning life, the journey of generations, sequence of exponential numbers unable, unwilling to deviate from the pattern, begins with one, then two, then broadens as it uncoils. I'm filled with such guilt, such shame. I'm unwilling to deviate from the pattern. I wonder if I'll ever be moral. I wonder if I'll ever be free. I wonder if I'll ever be free, if I'll ever be free. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative.